Good morning. It's already Thursday. Rochester today with Tom Ostrom is back. <laughs> morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. All right. Let's get going right away with the mailbag, I guess. Okay. Well, I submitted uh, my uh, August column to you, and Andrew tries to set it up on Saturday. And it uh, comes uh, many uh, interesting things. Well, the, the director insisting the border's career is closed, the border is closed, and then it's secure, he says. And then the hypocrisy of Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Browser, who thinks it's unfair to send illegal immigrants to her city, not to the southern cities, but to her city. And then uh, the flow of minorities to the Republican Party, uh, Senator Grassley of Iowa is looking into Joint Chiefs of Staff General Milley and his policies and his contacts with China. Uh, could there be a treason trial if uh, the Republicans take over? And then uh, retired military officers concerned with wokeism in the, in the military academies. And FBI whistleblowers are expressing uh, information and uh, alleged examples of political machinations and cover-ups in the FBI, other things too, but that's the column. Well, it sounds like a very busy one indeed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, it is. The Babylon Bee satire. According to sources, two neighbors in an upscale liberal suburb are currently locked in a battle of chicken to see who will be the first person to take down their Black Lives Matter signs. Neither wants to go first. <laughs> Honestly, I'm tired of this thing in my yard, said a neighbor, but I'm afraid of the mob and I don't want to be the first <laughs> one. So he's uh, negotiating with his neighbors to go out there at a certain time and remove the signs in unison. <laughs> also from the Babylon Bee. The White House reassures the White House reassures the nation that whoever is the person actually running the country is still healthy. <laughs> and then from Jerry, I read today. Jerry's a, a technical guy, and uh, and and uh, he said I read today that uh, artificial intelligence and some very sharp programmers are able to check voter registration in real time. They've They've figured out how to tell if somebody votes twice and also the ballots mailed out without a valid address are, that are returned to the U.S. Postal Service and how the Postal Service is supposed to then uh, call a fraud, a fraud vote outfit to come and pick them up. And the Dems have thought of a lot of ways to scam the public and intrude on voting. I think these sharp people with artificial intelligence and computer savvy will be able to rectify these things and catch the perpetrators. Uh, and uh, we have to know, is this a system that will be nationwide or just in a small area, but small steps are progress. That's the mailbag. Hmm. I found that interesting. I haven't read any of that anywhere. That I'll have to do. Re I mean, I, I don't know if it's even possible, but I'm thinking in uh some rural parts of Minnesota that that just wouldn't work. Um, they still put the ballots in a truck and drive it to the nearest courthouse, and it 
I, I don't know how you do that in real time. I could see with electronic mm-hmm. voting how that could work, but yeah. there's well, a lot of places that it takes a long time to get the votes counted. Yes, that's right, and uh, especially expansive rural areas. But you know, Jerry yeah. is like you; he's just brilliant in technology, and and like you, he's able to explain it so people like me understand. So I thought that was a very interesting article. Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, his his analysis uh, was was interesting. He didn't send me an article. Okay, well I'll just I'll do some googling. How's that? Is that okay. it for the mailbag, Tom? Yes. Okay, we'll take a quick break, and we'll return with Tom Ostrom and more of Rochester today on Rochester's News Talk, thirteen forty KROC AM and ninety six nine FM. Welcome back to Rochester Today, Thursday morning with Tom Ostrom. What do you want to start with, Tom? Well, I'm going to include uh, Wisconsin in the Minnesota news. It's a, it's a neighbor. Um, uh, this, is, this is breaking. Gateway um, uh, pundit Joe Hoft uh, wrote the article. Representative Chuck Wichkers becomes the third Wisconsin lawmaker to sign on to decertify the 2020 Wisconsin election results because they say the fraud was too great. Uh, uh, This was a public announcement uh, uh, Monday, and he joins uh, two other legislators in this issue, and uh, they will be joined by more. And uh, they're just uh, upset by what they think and and what they've learned, and we'll see what happens in Wisconsin. And... uh, I know a county in Wisconsin, too, decertified the election, uh, Langlade County. Mary um, and I used to live there when we both taught school in Wisconsin. So uh, Arizona, too, is having lawmakers just rebel and resist the results. But So the, the feud and the theories of, uh, of trouble continue, and some are trying to do something about it. Others like Mitch McConnell are sponsoring legislation to make it almost impossible to question the results of elections. So the, the the civil war on that issue continues. Well, okay, interesting. A couple points. I don't know what other than a symbolic gesture decertifying the 2020 results would be because they've been certified and entered into the book. So they're not going to be they're not going to be able to undo anything. And on the other hand, McConnell's action or any action by Congress would seem to run counter to the Constitution because the process of running the elections is delegated to the states. Exactly, Andy. Exactly. That's the dilemma. And it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. And I, you know, I, you may disagree, but and then some of our listeners may disagree, but I think there are an awful lot of folks out there who would wish this whole issue would just be pushed off to the side. Right. Um, and I don't know if it, I don't know if it's an effective campaign issue for anyone. I, yeah. I, I'm being honest. I don't know. And I guess yeah. we'll find out in uh, um, August and November. Right. Well, if states do something to make it more difficult to, to have these so-called irregularities occur and see that state officials are running an election and not outsiders, 
if that might well be enough. But I'm kind of with you. I I do think there was enough fraud, but I think Trump hurts himself every time he brings it up, and and so I've, I'm I'm getting very confused about it. Okay, and Tom, I don't think you're alone in that. Mm-hmm. I think there. I think you're seeing even within the Republican Party people starting to hire of Trump. And I yeah. and I and I'm I'm not talking about what you refer to as rhinos either. I'm talking about people who are or were Trump supporters, but they've kind of grown weary of the you know, the single track of his speeches and uh his social media outbursts and, and things like that and wish for more content. I, I'm once again, I don't know. There, there are a lot of people who are still up in arms over what they perceive as a stolen election. So whether or not that's enough people to overcome those who are weary of the issue, uh, we'll find out. Yes. Uh, and But Democrats squealed about what they thought were stolen elections and previous losses, too. And a, a Georgia gubernatorial candidate still is harping but yeah it goes on it's getting kind of tiresome just do something about it and (laughs) move on uh candidates in minnesota are looking to bring universal school choice to minnesota and uh, two republican candidates want to follow arizona's example by bringing universal choice to the state and representative steve descartes for Senate District 20 in, in Minnesota, and then Pam uh, Altendorf, a candidate for House District 28, have authored an Education Freedom Act that they plan to introduce if they are um, elected and re-elected. They will mirror uh, Arizona's universal school choice legislation and make Minnesota the second state to support tax dollars to follow the student, whatever educational institution that student or parents uh, want to send them. And uh, the program should be available to all students uh, in the state. And, and uh, they're saying it's social justice and it's education quality to allow students to leave uh, underperforming schools. So we'll see how far that gets. In Minnesota, I'm not guessing very far. Oh. Uh, I think there's a significant level of support for that sort of thing, but I just don't see the legislature moving forward on it. Not, not with the current makeup of the legislature, that's for sure. But you're right. The Republicans are banking on making some very significant gains in the Minnesota legislature this fall. So who knows? Once again, I'm back to that. (laughs) Sure. And governor Waltz continues to outraise, uh, gubernatorial uh, Republican candidate Jensen in the Minnesota governor's race. Uh, we'll see if uh, those uh, that, can, that can be closed. Um, I think Waltz has about $2.5 million, and Jensen has about $1 million raised. And then in the attorney general race, uh, incumbent Keith Ellison has a half a million dollars uh, raised, and uh, uh, his opponents, Republicans, both Jim Schultz has 300,000 and Doug Wardlow, a previous candidate for the office, 250,000. So uh, some uh, Republicans are running behind, but uh, but they hope uh, that votes will uh, be more important than the money raised. 
And the, uh, I know that there was word that Governor Walls was not going to sign on for the campaign financial assistance that is available that places limits on spending as you receive uh, public monies to fund your campaign off those little checkoffs we have on our tax returns um, mm-hmm. because he's already brought in enough money he doesn't need to. That uh, he didn't want to abide by any of the spending limits that go along with accepting the public campaign financing. Um, so he's confident that he has enough money in his campaign war chest to do what he needs to do, but that does not apply. I know that uh, I believe Jensen has already signed up for the public financing portion of it, which is the norm for candidates running for office in the state. And Ellison, for state attorney general, has signed on for the public financing and has agreed to the spending limits along with uh, Schultz, the Republican contender in that race. So it seems at this point, Governor Walls uh, has a ton of money and ready Mm -hmm. to spend it for his re-election campaign. Mm -hmm. Anything else we need to know about locally, Tom? Well, uh, uh, Jim, uh, Maurice, uh, one of our colleagues, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Uh, Jim Maurice, M-A-U-R-I-C. Yeah. He had an interesting article on the KROC news website, and it pays tribute to the National Guard. Um, uh, It's uh, Arden Hills native uh, Sergeant Richard Carlson. And he's in, he's competing in Nashville, Tennessee, against other National Guard soldiers uh, for uh, leadership uh, positions and leadership honors in the uh, National Guard Best Warrior competition. And uh, he's competing with 14 others, uh, so regular soldiers and then non-commissioned officers. And... Uh, they will be graded on over 30 events, uh, running, weightlifting, wrestling, um, arms, uh, and, uh, and uh, fitness. Uh, and and uh, the winner will be named Soldier and Non-Commissioned Officer of the Year, uh, and they represent the Army National Guard. And so, uh, again, the work that citizen soldiers do to stay fit and to wear the uniform with pride, and we'll see how that uh competition ends yeah i hope he does well that's for sure going back to the elections coming up here in august and november the primaries in august there was some there was some uh interesting jobs related statistics that came out over the past week that uh governor walls is certainly touting as he's running for re-election and it's interesting to note that it's it appears Minnesota's economy is still doing quite well, uh, while the rest of the nation perhaps is technically already in a recession. We don't know that yet, but there are some indicators that may be so. Unemployment in Minnesota last month for the month of June was the lowest it has ever been in any state of the United States since they began tracking unemployment statistics back in the mid-1970s. Mm. It was an amazingly low number, and uh, I want to say it was 1.8%, and 
There have been a couple other states that have seen jobless rates drop to 1.9%. So not only was it a record low for Minnesota, it was a record low for the entire nation. Mm. And here in Olmstead County, our total employment shot up to the highest level it has ever been. And the local labor force is also the largest it has ever been. And in Minnesota state as a whole, we have kind of been bucking the trend because our, what they call labor force participation rate, which is the, the, the percentage of people who are of working age, I guess, or, it might be a more accurate measure of what's happening out there than what the actual unemployment rate, but our worker participation rate is, is rising. It's not as high as it might have been previously, but it's up in the upper sixties percentile range while other states in the country have seen much lower worker participation rates. So it seems as if at least in Minnesota, people have been getting back to work, but there are still an abundance of jobs that are not filled. Um, so we do have a true worker shortage here. Well, that's interesting because, uh, yeah, Minnesota has a huge uh, surplus uh, in the economy. As you say, uh, good uh, good employment stats. Uh, but yet uh, I shared an article last program of how business people, as small business people and some corporations are cutting back on hiring and trying to lower costs, uh, fearing that uh, a recession is on the way. So that, that's a contradictory uh, countervailing of issues. But uh, but Waltz will be held, helped. He will be helped by a very strong Minnesota economy, as you just outlined. He may be helped, but he'll also be restrained by the public's concerns about inflation and gas prices because people are going to put the blame on those who are in power, both nationally and at the state level. So he'll get his share of blame for that to uh, counter the fact that the overall economy continues to chug along, at least for the time being. Yeah, that's right. He'll be blamed for that and and crime. Uh, yeah, that'll be the other, at least in the state of Minnesota, it certainly, it certainly is high uh, up on the list, it appears. So... We can talk more about that issue uh, on the national scale when we come back. We have to take our break for news, Tom. We will return with more of Tom Ostrom and Rochester Today in a few minutes here on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Rochester Today on this Thursday. I'm Andy Brownell along with Tom Ostrom. And Tom, I was... We were briefly talking about some of the issues in the election uh, before we took the break uh, pertaining to the state of Minnesota, but I wanted to share with you, I saw a re relatively recent polling that was done a little bit earlier in the month, three weeks ago, perhaps. Uh, is it Monmouth University? They're polling institute. And so they did a scientific polling of the issues that voters are most concerned about uh, as we head into this primary election season and election season. And unsurprisingly, inflation was on top mm. at 33%. So obviously a negative for the Democrats there. 
Gas prices were the second highest issue at 15%. The overall economy at 9% and everyday bills and groceries, that sort of thing, at 6%. So economic issues accounted for, let's see here, that's not doing the math very well, well over 50% of the, uh, the, the focus of what voters are concerned about. You get to some of the other issues, the um, social issues. The abortion issue is at 5% for mm. um, voters. Uh, the gun issue, 3%. Education policy was next to nothing at 1%. COVID also at 1%. Mm. Climate change and the environment, only 1%. And this is the one that surprised me nationwide. Safety and crime, only 2%. Mm. And uh, even immigration was down there at zero or just over zero. So it was almost not registered along with terrorism. And civil rights uh, was pretty darn low, too, at 1%. Mm. So obviously the voters are at this time, and this could change, focused almost entirely on economic issues as they're considering the candidates. And this is the other part of the poll I thought you might find interesting, that um, they asked if the actions of the federal government over the past six months helped, hurt, or had no, no real impact on their concerns. That would be the voters' concerns. 57% of the respondents said the federal government actions have hurt these economic issues. Mm. Another, mm-hmm. The other largest one was 34% didn't feel it had any impact, and only 8% felt that the federal government actions had helped. So that would clearly be on the current administration at this point, seeing as over the next six months. And then they're looking ahead to the future, and the voters are very pessimistic about how the federal government is handling the economic issues, 45% believe that actions of the feds over the next few years will hurt on those uh, current economic concerns of the electorate. Really That's interesting a, findings. Very interesting. And some are uh, seem contradictory and, uh, and several seem very surprising. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you wonder about polls and you wonder uh, if these things change, but many are very related. So, trouble in river city for democrats on some of those well especially considering it seems as if that they are focusing almost entirely on the abortion issue as they're campaigning it seems to be the focus of almost every single thing that you see out there as far as um trying to ignite their base but it's something that likely won't register much with the voters who are most concerned about these economic issues that's right yeah because uh, inflation is costly to, to salaries, to, to budgets, to, to everything. And people are being hurt at the pump and in the grocery stores and uh, everywhere else and, and have the need for money for school, for their children and the cost there. So, yeah, it, 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 many related issues in that quarrel. Yeah, and if you look at, it's hard to talk about this because I look at traditionally the Democratic Party as been or touted itself as representing the the working class, the those who are are not 
wealthy, the the people working day-to-day jobs and pulling down a paycheck. These are the issues, especially inflation and gas prices, that mm-hmm. are really hurting that portion of the uh, population of this country. And those folks oftentimes, other than during the Reagan years, align themselves, well, actually during the Trump years too, align themselves with Democrats. Well, that's interesting. And I read, I don't have it with me. I didn't intend to bring it up, but the percentage of people that are dissatisfied with the public schools and what they're teaching and what they're not teaching uh, and and the uh, uh, freedom from that and charter schools and other things increasingly popular. So uh, that's an issue too. And that's a cost factor uh, in that sense. But Uh, You wonder, too, uh, all these issues are intertwined, and if inflation is blamed on the president and on the Fed and on his policies, uh, it's going to cost them. Well, it puts his approval rating down in the low 30s, I believe. Yeah, and I think I read that uh, off the top of my head, too, that a surprising number of Democrats in increasing percentages don't want Biden to run again. I can't say I'm surprised at that, but I've mentioned this before. Interestingly enough, other polls have shown that if it is Donald Trump as a Republican candidate in 2024, Biden outpolls Trump. So once again, the Democrats might put up a Biden if Trump is the candidate, because it seems as if he might be, for some reason, the only candidate that outpolls Donald Trump on that side of the aisle. That's that's amazing. Not really surprising, though. Democrats hate Trump so much they'd rather have Biden. Um, but many Republicans, too, are, are entertaining the thought of DeSantis, a very successful Florida governor, and we'll see what happens. The Biden administration and Democrats really have a way of going after their opponents and threatening them. And just like uh, Dr. Jensen running for governor in Minnesota had his license threatened because he wasn't p- politically correct enough. Now the Biden administration is threatening pharmacists. You know, if you're in a state where abortion is prohibited, uh, they're still going to go after pharmacists who won't fill the abortion uh, prescriptions. I don't know what they're going to do. Can they threaten pharmacy licenses? Is that federal? Um, no, usually but, that's uh, a state licensing thing. Yeah, but the, But the Department of Health and Human Services issued guidance uh, reminding uh, pharmacists of their alleged legal obligation to fulfill prescriptions regardless of state laws. Well, that's questionable. That could be uh, handled in court. Uh, But uh, you're right. uh, Dr. Jensen was threatened by state medical boards. But could there be pressure uh, by Democrat officials to go after state pharmacists because you usually say that the state uh, regulates that and they're taking aim at religious beliefs uh, pointing to uh, uh, that as a invalid excuse so uh, and one person who read the article on this that i read said hmm but it's perfectly okay uh, for pharmacists not to fill uh, ivermectin prescriptions <laughs> that that seemed to, in fact, to have worked. So more politics. Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't see how that passes constitutional muster. If you had an individual pharmacist 
who held the belief that life began at conception and you are threatening their livelihood, I don't know how that, that would work. That would be, to me, in my opinion, a clear violation of the First Amendment. I know there are individual firms that have policies that if you do hold those beliefs, you have to either find another pharmacist within your organization to service the person seeking that prescription or direct that person to even another pharmacy where they could get help. But at the same time, allowing that pharmacist not to violate their personal beliefs. Right. Well, Health and Human Services Director uh, uh, Xavier uh, Baxera wrote the new guidance and he said uh, the Department of Health and Human Services uh, and civil rights laws protect people's access uh, to medical procedures and protecting the rights of women and their civil liberties and them to be free of, of discrimination. Uh, and uh, the HHS document lists alleged discriminations that pharmacists would be practicing if they refused to uh, grant this prescription request. So uh, you're right, there's a conflict between the feds and the states and something else that could end up before the Supreme Court. What do you have next? Well, Democrats are trying to stop the U.S. citizenship question from being added to the census. We went through that in the last census. But um, particularly interesting to me, Supreme Court Justice Elena Kagan, who's been quiet about the last court decision that she dissented against, said that the court must follow public sentiment and public uh, con uh, 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 conclusions and public preferences in its decisions uh, if the court's going to have any credibility. Well, constitutional scholars really <laughs> went after her on that and said the courts, in fact, are designed to go against public opinion. They did in racist, racial matters, and they have in other matters. So Kagan is way out of bounds, they said, and she got a lot of criticism for that. Yeah, that one actually kind of gives me a headache when I think that a sitting Supreme Court justice would say something like that because <laughs> yeah. the, court, the court was supposed to be the stalwart, the one place where public opinion was not supposed to hold sway. The other offices, obviously, they were meant to be swayed by public opinion. They're elected positions. But the court was supposed to stand there and say, nope, this is the way it goes because of our Constitution, the way it's written, and these are the freedoms that are, or rights that are allocated, and these are the powers that are allocated, regardless of what was going on at that time as far as the public is concerned. At least right. that was my understanding of it. That's right. That's right. And uh, speaking of opinions, uh, this surprised me. Uh, it was my impression that most physicians really don't care to do abortions. Uh, you have to hunt to, to find one nowadays. But medical students, Andy, at the University of Michigan walked out of their uh, ceremonies, uh, graduation ceremonies, uh, in protest of, of a medical school faculty professor, Dr. Kristen Collier. She's an anti-abortion professor, and she took the stage at the ceremony, and uh, she's been long uh, an abortion, an abortion uh, opponent. Uh, 
called it violence, and uh, and and uh, she said it it just uh, is counterproductive and immoral and everything else. So the students walked out. Um, many students and many faculty members, and so they also demand that this professor be fired. But so far, the administration is standing firm and saying uh, she's a renowned academic and a researcher, and uh, we have freedom of speech here, and we have different opinions that we encourage. But uh, that so many students and faculty didn't surprise me, but so many students with their white coats that they just earned walked out hearing that. Does that mean they're so in favor of the procedure they plan to do it in their medical practices? Or are they woke? I I couldn't guess, but it it makes me sad to hear yet another example of what's happening on the campuses of our higher ed institutions nationwide. That the idea that you can't listen to another point, person's point of view, even if you disagree with them, you can't afford them the ability to deliver a speech. I over. Obviously, a, a topic that is one of the hottest debated issues in our society for the last 50 years. That, nope, don't want to hear it. Yeah. And that, mm-hmm. That's so disappointing. Yeah. And the, the medical students with their Hippocratic oath, uh, uh, they, they, they're, they're injecting politics into their practice. Although I suppose the other side says, you don't agree with them, that's politics too. It's always politics, as you've taught me, Tom. It's always politics. <laughs> we have time for one more quick one before we have to take a break. Okay. Powerline, Scott Johnson, uh, on the Dobbs leak, uh, on the court abortion issue. The status of the investigation ordered by Chief Justice Roberts following the leak of Justice Alito's uh, 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 document. Uh, The court won't say whether it's still investigating. The mystery of why they can't find out who the leaker is continues. They won't say whether the leaker has been identified or if anyone's been disciplined or whether an outside law firm or law enforcement or FBI is investigating. Well, I know the U.S. Marshals Service protects the justices, so they're in charge, really, I think, of that investigation, or whether the court will offer an accounting or whether it's taking steps to prevent a repeat. And and reporters contacted the Supreme Court spokeswoman, Patricia McCabe, and she said, the court has no comment. And we may not ever find out because that's within their power. If the court decides not to release any information, they can choose not to. There's there's nobody who has authority over that. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with a couple more minutes of Rochester Today with Tom Ostrom after this on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning. Welcome back. Our final segment of the program today on Rochester Today with Tom Ostrom. Tom, it's, uh, I'm going to throw it to you quick because we only have a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Nancy Pelosi is still unclear whether she will go to Taiwan. The Chinese are vehement and even threatening about it. And uh, uh, would they shoot her plane down or something like that? And um, President Biden doesn't want her to go. And that's still up in the air. And then the 
Republicans are hammering Biden for allowing emergency oil reserves to go to China. Uh, they're saying it compromises our energy security to send oil to uh, a significant adversary. Uh, and Biden said one Republican needs to remember our energy reserves that are strategic are for emergencies, not to cover up bad policies. And uh, so some Republicans are going after him, and we'll see if that has any results. The and other then, thing is, yeah, the amount of oil that was released would it even have any significant impact on the price of gasoline? I, I find it doubtful. Uh huh. And then, but sending it to uh, China when when we have uh, uh, we were energy self sufficient in the Trump years, and and sending it to an adversary uh, and diminishing those reserves. Uh, it just seems so illogical and so dangerous uh, in that sense. And the Russians are continuing their missile attacks on Ukrainian civilian infrastructure. Uh, I saw a picture of, I counted 10 stories of an office building, and it took up a, a whole block of, of areas I could see from the photograph. And all the windows were blown out. And uh, so the missile attacks hit civilian infrastructure and kill lots of people. Uh, and even a school was hit. And uh, but yet the Russians are saying that they will allow Ukrainian wheat shipments out of Black Sea ports. That way they can avoid uh, the threat of the U.S. Navy escorting uh, those those vessels. But while the Russians are saying we'll allow that, they're attacking Ukraine as viciously as ever. Uh, and, and, and but the wheat uh, shipments are necessary for the Ukrainian economy and then for uh, many cultures and nations that are having food shortages. Yeah, it's a lot shorter trip for wheat to make from Ukraine to Africa than it is from the United States. And, uh, and I know that that's a, a key export area for the Ukraine. On that topic of the ongoing war in Ukraine, there has been some movement among the countries bordering uh China in the Southwest Asia region, um, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, and one of the other stands or stands that they have not endorsed Putin's moves in Ukraine and are uh, apparently abiding by the sanctions and not lending their support to Russia in the war in Ukraine. And I think it's only Belarus is the only country that is uh, helping the Russians in that conflict. And it, apparently that they've had some overtures to the West because they're concerned they could be next. Mm-hmm. Well, those are former Soviet republics and Uzbekistan yes. and Kazakhstan, all the stands. Uh, the stands mean they are largely Muslim nations, uh, composed of Muslims, so that they are uh, opposing uh Putin's policies. They are nations. They are sovereign. So what will uh, Putin do about that? And, and, yeah. when and why are they opposing him? And uh, uh, that is interesting. Yeah, they're walking a tightrope, that's for sure. We have to run, Tom. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday with more of Rochester Today. Thanks again. Oh, you bet. You too, Andy. All right. Tom Ostrom, he'll be back next week here on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.